0: Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day, they're taking a week. You have too many manual processes. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, and one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. Having all of your business's information in one place is a powerful thing because it allows you to make better decisions, which is why NetSuite's unprecedented offer to make this possible is something to take advantage of. Don't wait. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free, at netsuite.com strange. That's netsuite.com slash strange to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, we've all had bad days, or bad weeks, or bad months. From overflowing toilets to stolen cars, misfortune comes in a wide spectrum. We ask each other if Mercury is in retrograde, or if someone somewhere has upset a Scorpio. If we are superstitious, maybe we grab a couple of crystals or study the sky, or burn some sage. Humbling though it may be, most of the time, a bad day is just inconvenient. We lose something right when we need it most, or we break something at the peak of our stress, and then life goes on. But for others, bad luck can threaten their lives. This was the case in 2018, For a man you might know, one Post Malone. If you don't know who Post Malone is, well, we'll just call him a rapper. But we encourage you to pause this podcast, do a Google image search, and come back to us when you're ready. Done? Okay, you've got the idea. According to the music and culture magazine Fader, Post Malone's bad luck started in August of 2018 with the emergency landing of his private jet. And you may be thinking to yourself, oh boo-hoo, not the private jet. But even for those of us more accustomed to the back of a Spirit Airlines flight, this emergency landing would have been terrifying. During takeoff, too of the Jets' tires blew out. And then two weeks later, Post Malone was in a car accident that totaled his Rolls Royce. Yet somehow he remained uninjured. But it didn't stop there. A different Fader article reported that just three days later, armed robbers broke into a house in San Fernando Valley that was formerly owned by Post Malone. Although he'd moved out months prior, the robbers reportedly shouted, ''Where's Post Malone?'' while attacking the current residents. Those residents didn't know him, though how fortunate for that they felt at the time is unknown. Post Malone commented in a tweet on the events, saying, ''God must hate me.'' We can't blame him feeling, well, a little cursed. It's a relatable sentiment, Even most of us who've never owned a private jet or a Rolls-Royce or a mansion could feel that way. But there are some who found a very different explanation for Post Malone's bad luck. They didn't blame coincidence or karma or divine opinion. Instead, they pointed to a curse from a Jewish wine cabinet said to be haunted by an evil spirit, which isn't as relatable. Now, what would that possibly have to do with Post Malone? A lot, actually. But first, let us fill you in on this item that was supposedly causing all the trouble. The wine cabinet is called the Dybbuk box. To give you an image of what it looks like, we'll borrow a description from the Los Angeles Times. It's a wooden box, quote, smaller than a case of beer decorated with two metal plates in the shape of grape clusters on its double doors. Although it's called a wine cabinet, the Dybbet box doesn't have wine inside. Instead, the Los Angeles Times reported that it has, quote, two locks of hair, one granite slab, one dried rosebud, one goblet, two wheat pennies, and one candlestick. On the back of the cabinet are a few words carved in Hebrew, and the granite slab on the inside has the word Shalom carved into it. But more important than its contents, the Dybbuk box has a reputation for causing bad luck. And it's a reputation that stretches back far beyond Post Malone's terrible, horrible, no-good, very-bad 2018. More on that in a moment. A week and a half after Post Malone's string of incidents, the Washington Post declared, It's official. Post Malone is 100% cursed. They cited a series of tweets that pointed out that Post Malone had been in contact with the Dybbuk box a few months before his accidents. The term contact here is loose. Post Malone never touched the box himself. Instead, he touched the shoulder of Ghost Adventure star Zach Bagans while he touched the box. Per the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Post Malone was taking part in a live Halloween special filmed at Bagans' Haunted Museum. That's haunted as in full of haunted objects, not a museum that's haunted. Though, actually, the museum probably has its own ghost by now too, We should look into that. Anyway, of everything in the museum, Bagans calls the Dybbuk box, quote, the most haunted object in the world. TMZ showed a video of Bagans and Post Malone running out of the room the Dybbuk box is kept in almost immediately after touching it. Why did they run? According to KTNV Las Vegas, Post Malone saw a tall, shadowy figure. Even though they fled the museum, Post Malone said it followed them into the street. But where did this box come from? Could it really have cursed Post Malone? Well, strangers, it's a long and bizarre story. We'll start at the beginning. According to a man named Kevin Manis, the Dybbuk box was first brought to the world's attention in a place with more haunted objects than Baggins Museum, eBay. It was 2003 and Manus was desperately trying to sell his haunted Jewish wine cabinet. Although the original eBay listing is long gone, Manus reposted it, unedited, to Yahoo Voices. He described the story of his Dybbuk box in great detail. According to him, he bought the wine cabinet from an estate sale in 2001. As he was leaving, he met the granddaughter of the woman who'd passed away, and she shared the story of the Dybbuk box. Apparently, the box was one of three objects her grandmother, a Polish-Jewish woman, took with her when she fled from the Holocaust to the United States. The grandmother called the box a Dybbuk box and told her family that it must never be opened. Though she never told them why, and she never told them what the word Dybbuk meant. Thinking this was an important family item, Manis tried to return the box... But the granddaughter insisted that Manus, quote, made a deal for it, and he had to take it. So Manus took the cabinet all the way back to his furniture refinishing shop, and he opened it. It did not explode with divine energy and melt off Manus' face. At least, not at first. Instead, the reposted listing on Yahoo Voices Describes how Manus found the items inside. The locks of hair, the granite slab, the candlestick holder, the pennies, and the goblet. He put them aside, thinking he'd return them to the previous owner's family. Then he set to work applying lemon oil across the box. He wanted to spruce it up and give it to his mother for her birthday. But his mother didn't end up keeping it for long. Just five minutes... After she received the Dybbuk box, Manus' mother suffered a stroke that left her unable to speak. Although she eventually recovered the day after the stroke, she wrote a note to Manus telling him that she hated the gift he gave her. So Manus ended up giving the Dybbuk box to one of his friends. And yet, according to Manus, everyone who took the box home started to experience strange things unexplained odors of cat urine and jasmine flowers wafted through their houses, horrible nightmares of an old woman beating them senseless that left real bruises and scratches when they woke up, shadowy figures loping down their hallways. When the box was in his house, Manus himself experienced the same nightmares and injuries as his friends and family. His reposted listing on Yahoo Voices also stated that one of his employees quit after all the light bulbs in the basement of his furniture shop shattered at the same time. And Manus had the lease to his shop, in his words, Summarily terminated without cause. Enough unexplainable things happened that Manus thought the box had cursed him. He wanted it gone. So, he turned to eBay. The Dippet box listing was a hit. The Los Angeles Times reported that it was visited more than 140,000 times. Manus had to update it twice to beg people to stop requesting photo ops with the box, demanding more information or encouraging him to get an exorcism. Per the skeptical inquirer, the auction was eventually won by a college student named Joseph Nightsky but Joseph only kept the box for eight months before putting it back on eBay. Riverfront Times reported that the second Dipic box listing included Kevin Manis's original description and a postscript written by Nightsky. Although we couldn't find that postscript, Riverfront Times summarized the details. Nightsky and his six roommates took turns sleeping with the Dipic box in their rooms. Within a few days, they noticed strong smells of jasmine flowers and cat urine around their house. The box started opening and closing on its own. One of the roommates suddenly came down with bronchitis while Nitski broke his finger. They found dead mice in their car engines. Their electronic devices stopped working without explanation, and uh, Nightsky's hair even started falling out. It was more than enough for Nightski to want the box gone, too. Hey there, strangers. I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShave investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from two totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy is a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of a haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate There are so many crazy stories on The Dead Files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. Really, this is the perfect podcast for fans of One Strange Thing. All the paranormal activity that you love and the great research that you've come to rely on. So listen to The Dead Files, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring first-hand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. According to Riverfront Times, in 2004 passed on to its next owner, a man named Jason Haxton. For the next 12 years, Haxton kept the dipic box, though it wasn't always displayed in his house. That's because Haxton, too, felt the box's wrath. He experienced a number of physical ailments the first time he touched it with his bare hands. He had nightmares, choking attacks, welts and hives across his body, and a strange condition that left him with bloody looking eyes. He eventually resorted to making a safe box to house the cabinet and shield his household from the curse. But even then, he wasn't done with the box. As a director of a medical museum, Haxton took an academic approach to the Dybbuk box's effects. Per Riverfront Times, he researched the meaning of the word dipic and found it to be a Hebrew word meaning cling, cleave, or adhere. It also refers to a malevolent spirit from Jewish mythology. Riverfront Times wrote, quote, Dybbuk tales often center around someone who was spiritually bereft, leaving them an empty vessel open to a wandering spirit with unfinished business. In other words, dybbuks are said to possess the living, but possessing a box? The Los Angeles Times asked Rabbi Eli Shawet, a professor of rabbinic thought at LA's Academy for Jewish Religion, about the subject. He pointed out that there's no motive at work here. Dippics are supposed to come back for a reason, maybe to give a message or complete a task. That's where the whole unfinished business part comes in, but none of the events described by Kevin Manis, Joseph Nightsky, or Jason Haxton point to a clear motive, other than to lash out, which might be something. Revenge is a vague motive, but a motive all the same. That's what Jason Haxton thinks, at least. He believes the box's curse has to do with contributions of an American scientist to the rise of eugenics and the Holocaust. He told Riverfront Times that the scientist, Henry Hamilton Laughlin, directly inspired the creation of the Nuremberg Laws in Nazi Germany. And how had he made a connection between Harry Laughlin and the Dybbuk Box? Well, the original owner of the box was a Jewish refugee from the concentration camps in Poland, and the box had ended up in Joseph Nijski's hands who lived within sight of the Laughlin's mansion on Truman State University's campus in Missouri. Jason Haxton thought that this was no coincidence, but rather that the box was trying to reach the Laughlins. Per skeptical inquirer, Haxton felt so strongly about the box's story that he wrote a book about it in 2011, which certainly reached a bigger crowd than Kevin Maness's eBay listing and it certainly brought in a lot of cash. The book even inspired producer Sam Raimi to make a movie, The Possession, in 2012. Riverfront Times reported that during filming, light bulbs randomly shattered and a storehouse containing key props burnt down. The crew was so superstitious about the box that they refused to have it on set or even see pictures of it. Because that's the thing. Apparently, even pictures of the box are enough to cause trouble. Per the Los Angeles Times, after publishing his book, Jason Haxton made a website about the Dibbock box called Dibbockbox.com. There are pictures of the box all over the website that have supposedly caused visitors quote, headaches, nightmares, and other plagues. The original buyer, Kevin Manis himself, told Input Magazine that During radio interviews, listeners have phoned in to say that their computer burst into flames after they pulled up pictures of the box. One woman's truck even caught on fire. This reputation for trouble was more than enough for Ghost Adventures host Zach Bagans to take an interest in the Dybbuk box. Input Magazine reported that Haxton sold the box to Bagans in 2016. And it's been the star of Bacon's Haunted Museum ever since. Which, of course, brings us back to Post Malone. After hearing the full story of the Dybbuk box, it seems plausible that the cabinet could have caused Post Malone's bad luck. After all, so many people have claimed to be impacted by it. And let's be real, we've blamed a lot more minor things for our bad luck, like birth charts, or air signs, maybe Post Malone really was cursed. Except for one strange thing. Kevin Manis' eBay posting was a hoax. In a 2021 interview with Charles Moss from Input Magazine, Manis said, I am a creative writer, and the Dibbik Box story has done exactly what I intended it to do when I posted it 20 years ago. To become an interactive horror story in real time. The wine cabinet was just that. A wine cabinet. And it was from an attorney's yard sale, no less. Manus, a Jewish man himself, created the box during Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He told Input that he was going through a really rough period in his life at the time. His mother actually had had a stroke. He was having trouble with his girlfriend. In fact his whole month was full of random mishaps. So he put all his frustrations into the box and the story he created around it. Input Magazine was able to confirm the truth of this with Manus' friends who donated locks of their hair to the box. Everything from the carving on the back of the box to the items inside were the work of Manis. So where does this leave everyone else? Joseph Nightsky and Jason Haxton were all of the key players in on the hoax? According to Kevin Manus, they should have been. Manus said he told both Nitski and Haxton the truth about the box, but Haxton only responded with, Kevin, you don't have to pretend with us. In the same article, reporter Charles Moss followed up with Haxton, who insisted that everything he wrote about in his book really happened. He also said that the Dybbuk box had taken on a life of its own, far beyond Manis' control. As if to prove this fact, Manis reached out to Input shortly after he told the reporter Charles Moss the truth about the Dybbuk box. So this would have been sometime in 2021 if the article's posting date is anything to go by. Kevin Manus told Input that, for the past week, He had been experiencing a rash of incredible trouble, which he called The Curse. His car broke down, his girlfriend broke up with him, his mother died, and two of his friends also passed away, all within seven days. Strangers, at the end of the day, we know one true thing about the Dybbuk Box. It is just a box. There is no evil spirit in it. There is no curse etched into the wood. It is, as most things are, a story. But we should know by now just how much impact a story can have. The evidence is the hundreds of people who still believe in the Dybbuk box and insist that their experiences with it are real. The evidence is in all of you who listen to the stories we share each week. And the evidence just might be in the case of Post Malone. It's unclear how much blame Post Malone himself puts on the Dybbuk box, but it's true that multiple news sources, fans, and Twitter accounts believed in the curse enough to write about it. To connect the dots between something that Post Malone did in Las Vegas three months past with a series of random accidents, to insist that Post Malone was cursed and that surely more bad luck would follow. But at the same time, all of these sources could have just as easily believed that Post Malone was lucky, that somehow he escaped an emergency plane landing, a serious car crash, and a targeted robbery, not only alive, but uninjured. In a lot of ways, we suppose curses are all about perspective. There might not be a cursed spirit in the Dybbuk box, but perhaps there's something attached to it now. Something created by Kevin Manis's story and fueled by every person who's believed in it since. Sure, the Dybbuk box began as a cabinet, but in the cultural imagination, it's become so much more than that. It's generating its own mystery now. And you know, we do love that. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me. Except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, fun giveaways, and occasional live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.